0: welcome to spoiler the show which reviews movies books and tv shows in their entirety this week we're taking a look at ernest klein's geek festival book ready player one and if you've not read it yet here's one final warning we will be talking about the ending of the book we will ruin it for you so go away read it now then come back to us afterwards have they gone right on with the show Predicting the future is a tricky business. Isaac Asimov confidently prophesied that we'd all be living in moon colonies by now, and the year 1984 didn't shape up quite how George Orwell predicted. As
1: we grasp at
2: victory, there is a cancer, an evil tumor.
0: One thing almost all books set in the future tend to have in common is a distinct lack of optimism, with grim dystopian settings far outweighing the utopian. As far as most authors are concerned, one way or another, we're all screwed. Ex screenwriter Ernest Klein's debut novel, Ready Player One, is the latest attempt to predict the near future and, again, is set in a world gone wrong, where fuel and natural resources are scarce and life in the real world is so unpleasant that the population has retreated into a computer-generated virtual world called
2: the Oasis. Being human totally sucks most of the time. Video games are the only thing that make life bearable.
0: The book is unapologetically geeky, packed with pop culture references from the 1980s as our heroes Parzival, Artemis and H search for an Easter Egg hidden in the Oasis by its uber geek creator James Halliday. The ultimate prize, untold
2: riches and control of the Oasis. The very thought filled me with nervous excitement. Client spent eight
0: years writing Ready Player One.
2: It was really difficult. This was the hardest writing job of my life. And the book has been
0: described as Willy Wonka meets The Matrix for the twenty-first century.
2: I grew up reading a lot of Roald Dahl uh, uh, and like stories like James and Giant Peach and Charlie yeah. the Chocolate Factory. And he always had these underdog young protagonists. They're in a horrible situation, and then they, you know, something happens that takes them off on a fantastic adventure right. uh, that lifts them out of their, you know, their rotten lives.
0: It's currently being adapted for the big screen by Steven Spielberg. So Spielberg is clearly not too upset by the book's jibe about some of his more recent
2: work. Halliday once said that he preferred to pretend the other Indiana Jones films, from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull onward, didn't exist. I tended to agree.
1: Critical
0: reaction to the book has been mixed. The online gaming and sci-fi community have taken the book to their hearts, with Sci-Fi now calling it simply outstanding. But the New York Times reckoned it lacked at least one dimension and that, gaming has overwhelmed everything else. Klein himself admits.
2: It might be the the geekiest book ever written. (laughs) So,
0: is there enough to keep the casual reader engaged, even those who don't know their Atari 2800s from their Atari 800XL? Or, is Ready Player One the ultimate
2: nerdgasm? And my two least favourite words appeared on the screen. Game over.
0: Later in the show, we'll be taking a look at the popularity of dystopian futures in fiction. And, inspired by the appearance of Max Headroom in Ready Player One, we're investigating broadcast signal intrusions. But first, with me to jabber on about Ready Player One are the rest of the spoiler jabberwockies. (laughs) Over there is Player One, about to power up and play Street Fighter 2. It's Rachel Burnett. Hello. Hello. And over here is player two getting his tapping fingers ready for Daily Thompson's decathlon <laughs> it's Andy Goulding
3: hello
0: everyone get that reference you get that reference I remember it yeah good because uh, pop culture might might rear its head in this. So <laughs> <You> <laughs> Ready, play, Ready Player One has been described. Uh, well, in the intro, it was Willy Wonka. Uh, but I'm going to go uh, with the book source and say Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, and instead of The Matrix, now I'm going to say Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Mm-hmm. It's almost like two different people have written these intros. Now, which sounds <laughs> amazing or... Lame. <laughs> uh, depending on your viewpoint. Now, Andy, was it you that suggested we talk about this book? I uh, can't remember. No, it Who's, was Rachel. Rachel, yeah, you can blame me. Yeah. Who's taking the blame this week? Me. Rachel. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to go to Andy first because it says so on the script here. Um, <laughs> now, is this? Uh, it's just because it has a lack of imagination. This book, isn't it, Andy? What did you think? <laughs>
3: um, I, I really enjoyed this book. Actually, it's. Uh, I can see like why a lot of people have criticised it for being a bit sort of lacking a dimension. Sometimes it reads a bit like a list of recommendations <laughs> of uh, of '80s films and uh, computer games and music. But to me, that that's great. It's. Uh, I think it does limit its audience slightly in that it. Will definitely appeal more strongly to people who who lived through that time or have a particular interest in that time. But there's there's such an obvious love from Ernest Cline for this this period that it, it's a real joy to read it. I think, and it it's also quite handy for uh, picking up recommendations for things to watch. I mean, I. Uh, I'd seen most of the films that he he mentions. Uh, Some of them are are really good. Some of them, like Real Genius is a film that he keeps mentioning and it's a dreadful film. I really (laughs) recommend not not picking that one up. Val Kilmer (laughs) is all I'll say. Um,
0: (laughs) But is it so dreadful that it's worth watching almost? Oh, no, no.
3: No? It's it's not a lot of fun, really. uh, (laughs) But uh, one film that he keeps mentioning which played quite a sort of big role in in the plot is a ladyhawk which i've never heard of or seen and i watched it the other day and really enjoyed it and i think it, it's it shares that kind of era's playfulness i mean for for a dystopian novel this is a very bright fun upbeat kind of read uh, so yeah i find it a real a real page turner, a real really enjoyable experience
0: now, rachel are you have you ever been a gamer
4: I'm not a gamer at all, but I really like this book. And it nearly put me off because it was about so solidly about gaming, but it's not. It's also about films and books and music and everything else. And for anyone who's a bit of a geek, and I admit to being a bit of a geek, it's just, it is a joy, it is a pleasure. And all the way through you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, I've watched that. And, oh, um, would I be able to do the war games thing? Uh, No, definitely not. And um, so even without the gaming love, and I really don't have any love for gaming at all, I Still really, really enjoyed it. Mm,
0: but are you, I don't know, like a Space Invaders or a Pac Man, surely there's a bit of nostalgia there. Oh, god,
4: when I was, yeah, yeah, when I was, um, how old was I? About 11, I think, and we got a Sinclair ZX Spectrum 128K oh, for Christmas. Now we're talking, <laughs> which with with tapes that took like 15 minutes to load up with this horrible didn't, sound. And oh and didn't
0: god. always load up either,
4: no, it didn't. And Get uh, the i the volume wrong. Oh, my god, <laughs> I do remember we got a game called Peter Pack Rat, which you can see on YouTube and uh, we go oh look at the graphics oh wow look at the graphics and it's seriously like the most pixelated thing I've ever seen in your life but we thought it was a top thing ever it was just amazing but we were rubbish at it we were really bad and I had no patience with it at <laughs> all so and my mum was rubbish she just used to shout at it not realising that whole speech recognition thing was a while away yet <laughs> so um, so she used to get frustrated so yeah, in the end I think it was just my dad that used to play it but yeah I, I wasn't somebody that got really into it, and with the introduction of PlayStations, I've never had one. I've never had anything like that. We've got one so. in the house,
0: but I kind of, I, I still, you know, I, I do avoid it. It is a patience thing. The, the word yeah. you, the word you picked out there brilliantly is patience, because if you if you can't do it straight away, yeah, uh, I just lose my temper with it when go <laughs> yeah. do something else instead. Something I can do, like read a book. Absolutely. Um Andy, I, I want to pick you up on something you said there, and I think it's really intriguing. Is the upbeat, uh, because the upbeat is in the game in the virtual reality now quite a lot of the times so i um, i listen to the audiobook of it as we do as i do with this because i'm lazy um but what what i found was that I, I completely forgot sometimes that there was a real world out there i was imagining this all to be in this this virtual world and then you know I, quite quite on a good i think regular basis i di- i did get reminded that it was and that was, that was okay and I, I i wouldn't blame it or bring it down for that but it was because it was all inside you know the, this, this virtual world where yeah. we are all heading That's right isn't it
3: yeah, yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah. It, well, I mean, if you, if you think it, think about the plot a little bit more, and, and remember where they're all actually living their lives, it, it it could be seen as a little bit depressing. But it's not because they're 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 all uh, indulging in this thing, in these things that they love and it's just f- filled with passion. It's almost sort of a game itself because as well as, as listing the recommendations and things, there's lots of little references and each time I got one that wasn't flagged up entirely, I was like, yes! <laughs> it's like I was playing it. I was like, yeah, that's from They Might Be Giants, don't let's start. Yes, <laughs> one point to me. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think it was I I found it upbeat because it it was mostly in this this fantasy world which sounds like a great place to visit. I mean, I'm not I'm not a gamer myself either. I I had a, a Atari 2600 and a Commodore 64 which never loaded anything when I was <laughs> a kid. And then suddenly games got all 3D and complex and I, I couldn 't play them anymore <laughs> i don 't know why because I mean I live my life in 3 d and i 'm not like constantly working into walls or anything, but, <laughs> uh, but they just got a bit too complicated. I liked just like little platform games and things, but i mean there 's lots of references to to that sort of thing as well, and you don 't have to be a gamer to enjoy this because. The gaming is just one one part of it.
0: Yeah, with the New York Times, though, well, I think we quoted them in the in the intro, and I've got a, a note here that sort of says there the book. The New York Times said the, the book gets off to a witty start, but noted that it lacks at least one dimension, stating that gaming had overwhelmed everything else about this book. Um, now, I think that completely misses the point. Yeah. Really, I mean, you know, they've got it so far off there. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it: the New York Times are wrong.
4: Ooh, <laughs> that's
0: fighting talk. Uh, but the good. But the, <laughs> bring, bring them on. But the, <laughs> o- the Oasis. Is all consuming, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. it is. It's it's everything about it. Where there was one line in there that that, uh, at one point I did find quite shocking, where I think when he met up with other people, you know, he sort of got taken uh, out of the virtual world and he got taken into uh, a prison. He was meeting people that were exactly like him, completely kind of malnourished and not really Mm -hmm. proper, you know, and and, and, um, all sort of shaved and things like that because that's convenient for Mm -hmm. spending 23 and a half hours or 23. Fifty nine minutes of your day, you know, hooked into a computer game or a virtual reality, and that's that seems a bit. And actually, I see that. I see that. I do there see that Matrix thing where actually, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the whole life form of the planet is 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 sucked in, and you know that, that that's what's ma- making things turn. And it, it does. It opens so many doors. This book. It's so full of imagination. I think that you know, using what you already know and taking it uh, in, in a different way. That I I, I just I'm, I'm so so pleased uh, and I, once I started listening to it I couldn't stop listening yes. to it you know it's one of these things where you know if someone uh, someone interrupts you you're going get out
1: get out <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: listening I want to know what happens next and it is it's got a brilliant pace to it mm-hmm. as well I think yeah um, but I think we, we might have touched on the fact that the uh, the fans. I mean, the fans do love it, and it is for the fans. You know, who cares what the New York Times thinks? This is this is for the fans and the nerds and the geeks. And I, I say all those words never as a derogatory thing. Never. I, I you know I, I love using those words. I, I you know, and I love being one if I, you know <laughs> uh, if it, when it when it comes down to it. And 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 the incredible fan art as well that you see on some of the websites mm. and things like that. And there is a lot, there's a lot out there. I mean, if you go, if you want to, you know, dive into Google, I mean, there's, I, I, I thought about trying to make some, some notes here, but it never sounds good recommending a website on the radio, but um, just type it into a search engine. Can't imagine which one you'd use um, <laughs> and, and, and see, and just, you know, and take yourself on another journey. You're going to lose a good afternoon, but you're not going to lose an afternoon because there's so much, so many good things out there. Mm. Probably start with Ernest Klein's website himself, where it comes with this brilliant, um, logo of an old Atari cartridge he just oh it just makes you feel warm inside doesn't it it's brilliant
4: I do, I'm do. i so glad that you guys like to when you recommend something that you've enjoyed you're saying oh god I'm so they don't like it
0: well I think we all know how I feel about recommendations I mean <laughs> as soon as someone says oh you must read this and I said, no no mm-hmm. I don't want to leave me alone I, under no circumstances I'm going to like it and as usual this well just because I'm lazy and uh, I procrastinate almost to the point of ridiculousness I put this off until you know not nearly the last minute but it wasn't eight hours before we started this radio <laughs> programme but it wasn't far off um, but yeah, still uh, you know yeah, it, it was it was such, such a joy but, uh, pop culture references how about those eh I mean mm-hmm. that, that, they should just stick those I think throughout every single book for, for, <laughs> from now on and that's it will keep me you know just keep mentioning uh, I don't know, you know they, i try and think I mean, there weren't any mentions of Depeche Mode in there but I, I was kind of wishing he would do but he put new order in he put new order yeah, in so I was yeah. kind of I was kind of okay with that but uh, you know maybe for, maybe for the next one he should uh, talk about mm-hmm. Depeche Mode a little bit and then I'm, I'm happy as happy as Larry <laughs> depending on how happy Larry is that day <laughs> um, now Spielberg's going to go for this movie uh, it's already, in fact, I think it's got a release date of 2017. I think so. Yeah. Uh, you it's know, got some cast, well. some cast members as well. Cast members kicking yeah. about, aren't they? You yeah. look about it because I was intrigued. Then and you look and try and see the picture of the uh, the actor and think, well, no way,
1: man. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but that, that's going. I don't know. I, in the hands of anyone else but Spielberg, I'd be I'd be dubious. But I think I think I don't know. I've got I've, I've got high hopes. And I'm positive yeah. for it.
4: Don't you think he's just the perfect person to do it? Yeah, the, absolutely. You know, the, the the 80s director of note, the one that you know this whole sort of pop culture thing really revolved around and yeah, he's going to do really well with this, I think. I think he's already said he's not going to do too much about his own work. Um, the stuff that sort of mentions him, uh, he's going to sort of pull it out. But I mean, I don't know how far that's going to go. It, does he mean just the stuff he's directed or the stuff he's produced? Because that's going to leave like to leave, half the book. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's not, and also, it's so, not going to leave
0: much back from the 80s, is it? I don't know. I think it. it would be quite nice if he put a nod to perhaps also one of his lesser...
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was
0: about to say lesser good movies, but that's not very good grammar. <laughs> um, but yeah, let, let's, stick, let's stick with the, the pop culture references for now, uh, because I'm quite excited by this. I'm quite excited to play you two. Um, something, when we did the, the Stoner review, I did a remix of Stoner. Um now, I put a bit more time into this one. Um, and with that one, that was kind of throwaway and I wasn't too bothered about it. It was kind of funny, I thought. Um, and if you two don't like this, I'm going to be quite upset. So I think um, I'm going to be
4: quite upset, actually, Paul, as well. Without,
0: without any, any pressure. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know where, because we, we'd all said, oh, I should really do another remix. So, okay. And I thought, well, what should I do? And what stuck out to me? I thought, well, I could try and pick pick out bits of the plot. Uh, but, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot to do. Uh, and I thought, well... Let's go for the pop culture references. You know, pick a few out of those. That'll be fine. Um, I didn't really realise how many there were. Um, what you're about to hear is a day and a half of my life um, <laughs> that I, I may never get back. Um, and also, I've been, uh, I've been working on another project at the minute, um, trying, trying to remix some, something else. And um, I picked out the, the Yazoo track situation, which has got a brilliant 12-inch. Um, so I've robbed some parts off that. And uh, here is my attempt at the Ready Player One remix.
2: Rock, New Wave, Punk, Heavy Metal, Falco, Bryan Adams, Boingo Boingo, Dead Man's Party, The Wild Boys by Duran Duran, The Police, Journey, R.E.M., The Clash, They Might Be Giants, Van Halen, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Devo, Midnight Oil, John Cougar, Mellencamp, Rush, and Pink Floyd. Pac-Man Colossal Cave, Tennis for Two, Space War, Space Invaders, Galaga, Defender, Asteroids, Robotron, 2084, Donkey Kong or Burger Time, Contra, Golden Axe, Heavy Barrel, Smash TV, and Akari Warriors, Joust, Street Fighter 2, Sensible. Ms. Pac-Man, Combat, Space Invaders, Pitfall, Kaboom, Star Raiders, The Empire Strikes Back, Starmaster, Yars Revenge, E.T., Dungeons of Dagorath, Controllers, Software, games, a PDP-1, an Altair 8800, an IMSAI 8080, an Apple 1, right next to an Apple 2, an Atari 2600, a Commodore PET, an Intellivision, an Atari 400 and 800, a ColecoVision, a TI-99-4, a Sinclair ZX-80, a Commodore 64 nintendo and sega game systems macs and pcs playstations and xboxes keyboards joysticks and display screens douglas adams kurt vonnegut Neil Stevenson, Richard K. Morgan, Stephen King, Orson Scott Card, Terry Pratchett, Terry Brooks, Bester, Bradbury, Haldeman, Heinlein, Tolkien, Vance, Gibson, Gaiman, Sterling, Moorcock, Scalzi, Zelazny, Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks, John Hughes. Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, and Some Kind of Wonderful, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ali Sheedy, Winona Ryder, Christian Slater, Heathers, The Muppet Show, Family Ties, The Amazing Spider-Man, The X-Men, and Green Lantern. Peter Parker, Clark Kent, Sesame Street, like War Games, Ghostbusters, Real Genius, Better Off Dead, A Revenge of the Nerds, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, The Matrix, Mad Max, Back to the Future, and Indiana Jones. Footloose, War Games, Tron, Conan the Barbarian, Cameron, Gilliam, Jackson, Fincher, Kubrick, Lucas, Spielberg, Del Toro, Tarantino, And, of course, Kevin Smith. Airwolf, The A-Team, Knight Rider, Star Trek, Rain Man, Howard the Duck, Krull, Highlander 2, Matthew Broderick, The Gooties, Superman the Movie, Blade Runner, Monty Python, and the Holy Grail.
1: Right
0: so uh so there you go there's uh, there, there's some time that uh, I I took um <laughs> uh, but I I it's you know, it's funny because that's I think that's just over 4 minutes long but it it's needed because I think that that hopefully demonstrates just how much is in there and that's, mm. I think that's touched uh, wait, so I certainly touched a lot of it. <laughs> but there's still there's still more. There are still more references in there to be uh, to be to be sought out. And I did have a little bit of help with the uh online community giving some kind of, you know, reference points. And I actually again this is another example of uh where you can go on the internet and you know look through that and there's someone's, you know, chapter by chapter put the reference points with links to YouTube clips and all this kind of thing and where you can get hold of things. So it's um it's, yeah, yeah. What do you what did you think of that, Rachel? I
4: oh, thought that was great. And and the diversity of things as well. That when you mentioned Footloose is in there, and mm. um, you know, then Tarantino, and it's, it's just it's great. So there is something for everyone in there, even if you haven't grown up in the '80s. I think there's enough of a history of of the '80s things. Most people know about Star Trek, Footloose, and all that sort of stuff. So um, no, it's it's it was great. It it really did tie in everything really well. He's given us a
0: lot of suggestions for, uh, I mean, when we leave here, I think today we're perhaps going to have a, a quick meeting over what we're going to do for Series 3. Um, <laughs> I think we, can, we should just take that list from yeah. the beginning to the end. <laughs> see, where see, see where it goes. Uh, so what about the, the characters in this, though, Andy? Um, Wade himself, uh, Um Just going through there again, I'm going to bring it back to my remix there and sort of say, well, that's, that's a lot. It's a lot to get through when you're watching that. Um, he's, what, 19, 20 years old? There was, there was one point where I thought, how on earth do he have time to get through everything that he says that he got through? Mm-hmm. You know, all these series that he watched from beginning to end, all the books yeah. he watched from beginning to end, all the TV series. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, just the whole thing. I, I, that was... Just the one little bit, the one tiny bit that I thought, well, really? Mm. But then I suppose if you are spending 20 hours a day, you know, locked inside a a game world, then... There's a possibility of it, but it would uh, that just that bit seemed a bit far fetched to me.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean there was, there was quite a few uh, quite a few bits that that seemed kind of far fetched to me. There's little bits like uh when he uh, exposes the the murder of uh, of Dato, and I thought, well, why is, is this big company who murdered him kept a video on file of them committing the murder? odd little things like that but i i think they they're all very sort of consistent with the style because i think obviously it wears its influence on its influences on its sleeve but uh i think the book itself is also kind of like a big 80s film and it sort of it seems to be aspiring to be like that and so many '80s films, we we take them for what they are, and we forgive them any sort of plot inconsistencies and things like that because they're such a joy to experience. And that, to me, was what this this book felt like. I think it, it's it's moulded all its influences together and become them. What about
0: also, or what about? I mean, this is the way we're heading, isn't it? You know, the, into an alternate reality. I mean, you, you look at uh, games that exist that happen in my living room, like The Sims, uh, which is just like living a life through there. There was, a, there was a game Second Life as well. I mean, the other day we watched a YouTube video at home of someone else playing Sims. And do you know what? I started out by complaining to our eldest about that. At the end of the video, I was like, what happens next? What's, where, where's she going? What's, what? How do we, come on, take her to the country club. We can go have some fun. What's going on? Um, and you do, you get sucked into this. But this, you know, it, it's, it's very, I think... Riley observed um, and like you say it does wear wear everything on its sleeve but I think it really says hang on even now if you, you can demonstrate this is that we're all staring in no not we're all some of us a lot of us, are staring into screens uh, constantly, and it, what, what difference is that between, you know, that and being hooked up into some kind of groovy chair with a virtual reality uh, screen over your face um, and, and we, we were, at, um, something that happened in Lincoln uh, over, la- over last year, was a digital arts festival, mm-hmm. and uh, we went up to the, the castle there and they had virtual reality and it's really, really coming on you know, I mean they were, were showing us, I ended up flying around Lincoln Castle, it was just it was you know, it, was, it wasn't perfect but it was there and you can see exactly where it's going and you know, over the next few years. I mean, look how far we've come from, you know, reeling a spectrum tape record around and yes.
3: and, and then spinning the tape back on our, our pencils, <laughs> uh, trying to get back to the beginning. Uh, what I really liked about Wade, though, is that he, uh, he, I mean, it could be easy with a character like this when he's so constantly talking about pop culture and things for him to just be nothing more than his influences. But they touch a lot on sort of his physical condition and things like that, how he's, how this lifestyle has affected him. And I really like that. And I really hope that when Spielberg makes the film, they stay true to that and don't mm. just cast some hunky guy for people to like gather around. I think he yeah. needs to be this overweight teen. And I thought it was really good that they they then have him tackle that when he, he locks himself out of the oasis until he's done a couple of hours exercise. And that was a really clever idea, I thought, having this this system that doesn't let you get into the Oasis to do anything until you've fulfilled the goals that you've set for yourself. And in that respect he, he loses all the weight. So mm. I think it if they make if they make a film of it they need to cast the right the right people because the characters Although so much of it is about the pop culture references and everything. The characters are really solid and really good. And I think they need to stay true to how they are in the book to make it work. Yeah,
2: doing
0: exercise before getting treats. I think that's something that uh, <laughs> Jamie Oliver is going to be doing. Uh, <laughs> OK, so we'll have a look a bit more uh, later at the, uh, the plot. Certainly the ending uh, and some of the other characters in it as well. But uh, do not adjust your set as Andy is going to take a look at broadcast signal intrusions. And Rachel investigates the rise of dystopian futures in popular fiction. That's all after this short break hope you're enjoying the show so far if you are and you fancy helping us produce more by contributing to our coffee and cake fund there are lots of ways you can do that you can help the show by visiting our webpage, spoilerpodcast.co.uk, clicking on the donate button and giving whatever you think we're worth. Alternatively, if you're planning on buying anything from Amazon, you can do that via the links on our website and we get a few pennies each time. So that's spoilerpodcast.co Or you can help us out for free and get yourself an audiobook of your choice into the bargain by signing up for a free 30-day trial with Audible via the link on our website. Audible have the world's largest selection of audiobooks, including Ready Player One and Ernest Cline's latest novel, Armada. You can cancel your membership at any time within the 30 days and you won't pay a penny. But you still get to keep your free audiobook. We get a few quid each time someone signs up via our link, which will help our producer Johnny assemble his sexy Lara Croft costume in time
2: for next Comic Con. <laughs> <laughs> now, back to the show. And it looks like things are only going to get worse from here on out. Okay, so welcome
0: back. Uh, we're talking about uh, Ready Player One, written by Ernest Klein. I listened to the audiobook. Everyone else uh, did the. Uh, I was going to say do the proper thing, but it's, it's not. It's not. It's a copy not out, is improper? Is it? no. It's not. Is it? Tell me, Andy, it's not. Uh, no, it's not no, no, no. At
3: all, not okay. at all.
0: Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the book, actually, I was a quick. The book itself has it's got a great cover, hasn't it? Yeah. I really like it, really sort of uh, in your in your face. But uh, but let's have a look at some of the other characters as well. So as well as Wade, who is also known as Parzival in the uh, in the Oasis life, H, who I'd written down as H, as in the letter H, turns out it's different in the written book. Um, so H, um, we re- there, there's a big reveal, isn't there, Andy, at the, towards the end about
3: Darius. Uh, th- uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we find out that the H, who we've assumed is male all the way through. I mean, uh, she has an avatar that's, that's male and. But then, right at the end of the book, we we meet the the real person, and she's actually a woman, which I thought was really good. It was not. I mean, some people would say it's probably quite predictable, but I think it again, the book is is like a game, and it set it up. We knew, you know, in any in any story where people are represented by avatars and unseen, that some of them aren't going to be what they they seem, and it's it's a case of of working that out. And so I had lots of little theories. I think there's a uh, there's a little old lady who who we meet briefly at the beginning, who is... Is then killed, and I had all these wild theories that she wasn't <laughs> killed, and she was actually uh, the evil mastermind, mind at home and things like that. Really? But uh, obviously, I'd, I'd pushed I I'd pushed a bit too too far into, <laughs> into it. Like that time. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was it was really good because uh, when when we finally meet H and and find out that she's a woman, she does it. It doesn't change. It's a, it's sort of a, she's she's still the same character, and the fact that she's a woman doesn't make any difference. And it, it's very it's very well done because it would it would be easy to, once you'd written her as a woman, have her be very different from that character. And it wouldn't be like that, because obviously they're projecting a lot of themselves into these avatars. So uh, I, I think that worked very, very well.
0: Yeah, I do too. And I also think that I was, I, I, like you, I had a lot of theories about things. Um, and I, that, that was, that, that's a good thing. It's a bit like, in, you know, it uh, allowed you to do that, make up your own, uh, make up your own plots as, as you went along and then get trounced all the way through as you get it wrong. <laughs> um, but what I, I thought at one point, and I was so pleased that they didn't do this, because I'm always disappointed when they do it have sort of h is the spy sort of thing i thought yeah. h might be spying uh, for the sixers uh, and nolan sorrento who was a bad guy and we'll get to him in a second uh, but i was just so pleased that they didn't go there mm-hmm. down that route i was really really chuffed and it. it probably makes it a bit more cutesy if that's a word i even want to use mm-hmm. um uh, towards the ending but actually I was, I, you know, I was i'm quite happy that that happened really uh, mm-hmm. but what about that nolan sorrento was he um, was he a bad enough bad guy for you rachel
4: Yeah, I think he kind of was because he was, because he was in the game and he was in the real life and he was just sort of, he was everywhere and you just thought, how much can he see? How much does he know? And it's just, Mm. it felt like you just couldn't hide from the man. And when he just kept turning up, it's like, oh God, there he is again. (laughs) And um, no, I thought he was, he was a really strong villain actually. I thought he was really quite horrible. But because he was backed up by these Sixers and um, all the other people, the Suxers as they used to call them. (laughs) And um, yeah, that whole sort of corporate thing. Mm. Um, this entity that was trying to own the Oasis in order to charge people and things. I mean, that yeah. says a lot about capitalism. That oh, was Rupert Murdoch, of <laughs> wasn't it? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. That was definitely, definitely Rupert Murdoch, yeah. You know, it's a very
4: sort of, you know, anti-socialist movement. And um, no, and, it, and it was great when um when, Parsifal, when Wade eventually managed to infiltrate that whole system and absolutely pull the wool over their eyes and you were just like, yes, it was absolutely incredible. But no, he was a great villain. I really liked him as a villain. And it was great when he got crushed.
0: (laughs) All right, OK, so Ready Player One is set in a typically pessimistic version of the future. But such gloomy worlds are increasingly popular in fiction. Rachel has been taking a closer look at the trend towards dystopian.
4: After the rise and fall of the romanticised undead in fiction and film in the noughties, the public were hungry for something different to get their angst-loving teeth into. Thankfully, the demise of the poetic tortured vampire and the drippy love interest coincided with a glut of novels about the end of the world as we know it and the rise of dystopia. Dystopia, described in one dictionary as an imaginary place or state in which the condition of life is extremely bad, as from deprivation, oppression or terror, sounds simply idyllic, doesn't it? The dystopian novel itself is nothing new, especially for adults. From Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels, which is not the Lilliputian fairy tale most people think it is, to George Orwell's nightmarish 1984, people have long been fascinated with the effects of societal breakdown, impending Armageddon, and the possibility of eternal damnation. Aren't we a lovely species? However, of late, The Teenage of the Species has grown ever more intrigued by the ideas of authors and filmmakers regarding our possible fate. Young adult dystopian fiction has been filling the heads of the teenage population with an ever-increasing amount of despair and outright horribleness for years. Luckily, because this is fiction for children, and we have at least some responsibility to keep them vaguely cheery and hopeful, the majority of the books out there for teenagers feature heroism on an epic scale and a largely positive final outlook, if not quite the usual happy ending we're used to. The Hunger Games trilogy is a perfect example of the modern teenage dystopian novel. Societal breakdown, a brutal regime, the ever-present love triangle, and in this case, an unlikely but fiery female hero, ready to take on the world. The popularity of the books, followed by the massively successful film franchise, has encouraged further exploration of the genre, and even more fantastic tales of heroes triumphing over impossible odds. Crucial to the success of these stories is the fact that female heroes are as well represented as boys in today's dystopias. From Hunger Games' impossibly strong Katniss Everdeen, Thank you for your consideration. to the courageous and determined Tris Pryor in Veronica Roth's Divergent series, So am I supposed to thank you? these girls are as feisty and empowering as any of their male counterparts. Is this one of the reasons for its huge popularity among not only young adults, but readers of all ages and genders? Do dystopian novels offer us a glimpse of the people we hope we would be, should the worst happen? Strong, noble, passionate and hopeful, these characters never give up or die trying. So why the resurgence of this genre among teenagers in recent years? It's easy to imagine that children and young adults today could be feeling increasingly helpless in a world that seems to be spiralling out of control. Environmental disaster, the North Korean nuclear threat... Middle East collapse and the ever-present threat of terrorism pound the sensitive brains of our young people through an endless stream of news reports, web pages, and school lessons. It must feel, as it does for most of us, an inescapable onslaught. Where can these anxious minds go to seek some kind of solace? Maybe to stories that tell of even worse places, to give a sense of perspective, and then ultimately to hope and the promise of things improving. And by the hands of someone just like them, One 12-year-old on the website ReadKiddoRead said about reading teenage dystopian fiction, It helps me to think that our world or society can change, that I could help to change it. It's the teenagers who save the world in these stories, as the adults stand powerless and redundant, resigned to their fate. In these stories, teens are being told, You have the power to change things. You don't have to do as your parents have done. No matter who you are, where you've come from, what your talents are, you can strike out. Be passionate, be brave, be resolute, and you can change things. Far better than a sappy Bella who spends four books basically wanting so much to be with a sappy guy that she wishes death upon herself. Dystopian novels kick ass, that's why teens love them, and that's why they will be a fixture on bookshelves in young readers' rooms forevermore. Well, at least until the apocalypse.
0: Great stuff. Thank you very much for that, Rachel. Uh, coming up later, Andy will be looking at broadcast signal intrusions. Uh, but first, obviously, the whole plot of this thing is based around Easter eggs and uh, finding Easter eggs. Have you ever, have you ever had any Easter eggs in DVDs and things, Andy? Have you ever found any?
3: Uh, yeah, yeah. Some of them are quite easy to find.
0: Yeah, there's one on a Doves DVD that I've got. On Doves <laughs> Live at the Eden Project or something. I don't know. If you rewind it at the beginning or something, you end up with an extra track. You can do that with a Super Fairy Animals track as well. Oh, you can. Yeah. yeah yeah that's it oh, oh, oh. Oh, I knew, well, after this we just need to go and talk about the Super <laughs> oh, right, okay. but on the uh, on the topic of easter eggs uh, according to the wonderfully named giantfreakingrobot.com uh, they were uh, given a report uh, about you could win a DeLorean uh, in a contest for his readers for this so you could actually go and find uh, his very own easter egg you know so obviously brilliant I mean, why, why did I know about this what was going on no one told me about this at the, at the time um, but uh, someone won this there were hundreds of enter- entries and uh, yeah according to GiantFreakingRobot.com uh, contest winner Craig Queen was awarded the vintage DeLorean on G4's X-Play only eight days after the third and final challenge was announced. Test right. to be the first to set a world record for the highest speed. Right.
1: This is Max Head Max Max Headroom
3: Max Headroom.
2: Still alive out there? Good.
3: The iconic Max Headroom, a character touted as the world's first computer-generated TV host, is a creation immediately evocative of 1980s popular culture. Remember Boy George? Oh, me neither. Created by George Stone, Annabelle Jankel and Rocky Morton, Max was envisaged as the epitome of what Morton calls the sterile, arrogant, western personification of the middle-class male TV host. As portrayed by actor Matt Frewer under constrictive layers of prosthetic makeup, Max Headroom became the star of films, TV series, music videos, and advertising campaigns with his distinctive stuttering delivery parodied in numerous comedy sketches. Stupid,
1: stupid, stupid, stupid.
3: But one appearance that Max Headroom's creators could never have seen coming was the part their character played in one of the most infamous examples of broadcast signal intrusion in television history broadcast signal intrusion is the name given to an unscheduled interruption to televised programming by the illegal hijacking of broadcast feeds or satellite signals. You probably know the drill from old sci-fi films in which images on television screens unexpectedly degenerate into static before being replaced by alien beings telling viewers that the earth is under attack. We are controlling transmission. This is certainly a reference point that the perpetrators of the 1977 southern television broadcast interruption could appreciate. One of the earliest examples of television signal intrusion, this incident saw the early evening news on local ITV station Southern Television being interrupted by an audio transmission claimed to be from an alien named Vrillon of the Ashtar Galactic Command and warning viewers that all your weapons of evil must be destroyed then you have but a short time to learn to live together in peace. This
0: is the voice of Elmer, representative of the Ashton
3: Galactic, speaking with you. The identity of this broadcast intruder was never discovered, and although there are still dedicated Vrillon disciples who claim the broadcast was genuine, most people dismiss the incident as a hoax. While this alien's intention for the planet Earth seemed to be benevolent, the most Vrillon achieved was getting a rather dry news program temporarily replaced by a Looney Tunes cartoon until normal transmission could be resumed. And in my book, that makes it alright. A less philosophically commendable agenda was behind the broadcast signal intrusion of a man calling himself Captain Midnight, who successfully hijacked the signal for HBO in 1986, interrupting a showing of John Schlesinger's film The Falcon and the Snowman. In reality, Captain Midnight was Florida resident John R. McDougall, a man who ran a satellite TV equipment business, the financial ruin of which he attributed to HBO's service rates. The message that replaced HBO's programming appeared over a colour bar test pattern, and read Good evening HBO from Captain Midnight. $12.95 a month? No way! The message ended with the words Showtime slash movie channel beware, an apparent reference to future planned signal intrusions. However, McDougall brought about his own downfall when he was turned in by an anonymous caller who had heard him bragging about the signal hijacking in a bar, He pleaded guilty and received a $5,000 fine and a year's probation. Ironically, McDougall was only able to perform his intrusion using equipment at his second job as a master control operator at a satellite teleport, a job he had only taken on because of the failure of his business. The most infamous and spooky example of broadcast signal intrusion, however, is undoubtedly what has become known as the Max Headroom incident. It occurred in Chicago, Illinois, in November 1987, and the intruder was able to interrupt two television stations within three hours. The first intrusion occurred on an independent channel, WGN TV, during a news report by sports anchor Dan Rosen. The screen was suddenly plunged into blackness for 15 seconds, after which a person appeared on the screen wearing a Max Headroom rubber mask and staring directly into the camera. A large sheet of corrugated metal was held up behind him and moved around to imitate the background effects used in Max Headroom's TV series. Other than a loud buzzing sound, there was no audio, and WGN engineers were able to end the intrusion quickly by switching to another frequency. The transmission returned to the Bermuda sportscaster, who gave the brilliant response: "Well, if
1: you're wondering what happened, so am I.
3: Look out for the young lady." This was not the end of the Max Headroom hijacker, however, and later that same night he interrupted a showing of Doctor Who on PBS member station WTTW, this time with his own audio accompaniment. I'll get you a hot drink, man. <laughs> Though the sound was of terrible quality and fought against the same buzzing sound that appeared in the first intrusion, this creepy approximation of Max Headroom could be heard claiming he was better than WGN sports pundit Chuck Swirsky. He then held up a Pepsi can and sarcastically recited New Coke's advertising slogan, Catch the Wave, before hurling the can at the screen. This was in reference to Max Headroom's then-current status as a Coca-Cola spokesman, although this fake Max Headroom did not seem to have any political agenda other than anarchy. He went on to sing small snippets from the Temptations' I Know I'm Losing You and the theme tune to the 1950s animated series Clutch Cargo. In a possible reference to Michael Jackson, the fake headroom puts on a single glove and states, my brother is wearing the other one. The screen then cuts to the man's hand holding aloft the Max headroom mask and shrieking, they're coming to get me, while the woman in a French maid's outfit spanks his partially exposed buttocks with a fly swatter. Fortunately, at this moment, normal transmission was resumed.
0: As far as I can tell, a massive electric shock, he died instantly
2: television stations, someone using sophisticated equipment managed to briefly and illegally...
1: Override. Rated two television broadcasts last night. First hit w- this one for the video pirates who managed to scramble
2: Chicago airwaves. The pirates... Jackie, have- and at times perverse. TV surprise came shortly after 11 o'clock. Along with a display of a marital aid and a portion the interruption of... The ended with the video
1: pirates bare bottom being spanked with a fly swatter. but his punishment will be far worse if he is... Posted. It
0: is very serious and uh, we'd like to uh, inform anybody who's involved in this type of thing, we will make sure that uh, the full extent of the law
1: is uh, carried out. So what did you think about the whole thing? Very, very funny.
3: The Max Headroom incident made national headlines and resulted in more than a few phone calls from confused and terrified viewers, but to this day the hijackers have never been identified. Perhaps they were beamed up to live a peaceful life with Vrilon among the Ashtar Galactic Command, or perhaps they learned a lesson from Captain Midnight that if you're going to commit a federal crime, it's probably best not to boast about it in the pub afterwards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Think why hide something in what is obviously you're you talking about something else it's ridiculous
4: you just think it's ridiculous because you didn't win it <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly let me try and find that now anyway prove i'm the best <laughs> uh, okay so uh let's let's move on shall we now and perhaps talk about the ending because that's what we're here to do we're here to spoil everything uh for those who uh, who haven't done it was it all wrapped up a bit too nicely i say that you know i do end up saying this quite a lot i think was it all wrapped up a bit too it was wrapped up too nicely wasn't it rachel
4: i think it was actually um I've read it twice now because I read it ages ago when it first came out, and then tr- recommend it to you guys, and then read it again. I'd forgotten actually. I was, just how much of an anticlimax the ending was, and I remember at the time thinking, "Oh, what oh, was that it?" Mm,
0: but do you find uh, this? I can't remember if we've talked about this before. It was someone yeah. else I was talking about it, but <laughs> um, with an ending with characters that you you like and you've enjoyed the journey with you find that ending and you're sometimes disappointed by the ending, but I think you're just disappointed that it's ended.
4: Yeah, it could be that. I think because, obviously, we haven't really talked about what the plot is but particularly, but there's this idea of three keys and three gates I've got to get through and each thing seems to be getting harder and harder, each task. And I think I wanted a bigger battle. Maybe I'm just a bit bloodthirsty, but I think I just Mm -hmm. wanted a bit more. It's like once he'd got the extra life and he was able to keep going, then the thing that he had to do just seemed a bit, I mean we already know that he's he can reenact loads of things that he's got that kind of brain that he can just do mm. films and stuff. So when he had to do Holy Grail I wasn't really I wasn't worried he wouldn't do it. He's really good at that kind mm. of thing. There was an element of chase about it, but you know, I wasn't too worried about them catching up with him. And I think I just wanted some something that seemed impossible for him to be able to do it at the end. And in the end it wasn't it didn't seem that difficult the actual finishing thing that you had to do, like find this little blob, yeah, which I mean, was an egg. Perhaps, um, perhaps
0: Noel and Sorrento didn't get sort of close enough, or maybe they, you yeah. know, they, they should have battled it out, sort of um, head-to-head sort of thing. It
4: would be really interesting to see how the film takes it, because I think in a screenplay you have to go sort of and ramp it up. And even though there was the big battle at the end with the big Godzillary-type robot-y things which sounds like fun, that wasn't the end. It then came down again and I thought, well, you need to keep it up at that level, but mm. it didn't. It sort of came down a little bit into something quite gentle and quite quiet. And I thought, oh, I'm not quite sure if this is the big climax that I'm that I'm after. I mean, he had to get eventually to that point with Halliday where he's in that room and this is all his and that was great. But it didn't seem hard enough. I think I'm being a bit harsh on Wade. But I think it, was, it wasn't as hard as him infiltrating that building and, you know, mm. trying to... That was the hardest thing in the whole book and that happened you know, about two-thirds
0: in. Yeah, so to so. beat the big boss man at the end, what you're saying is it needs to be a harder fight?
4: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. OK.
0: Andy, I mean, I know we're trying to talk about the end here, but it did get a little bit baggy in the middle, and I think it was probably a bit harder sometimes in the middle than, it, than Rachel's quite rightly saying. Uh, should have, You should have been that, had that big fight at the end and should have been a bit tougher do you think
3: Uh, possibly I mean I I think I didn't have too many problems with the whole kind of battle and everything I I think it might be something that they they can fix quite well in the film because it's a far easier thing to do visually and give you like a big a big sort of climax uh, than it is on paper for me what was kind of uh, didn't work as well was the kind of the the ending of the the romantic uh, subplot between wade and artemis and i really i think they they gave too much it had this sort of ending where they go and they sit together and they kiss and stuff and i wanted it to end a chapter earlier i think they they had it right because that there's a bit where you know he's going out to her and someone says oh she's gone outside and that, that gave me all the information that I, I needed, really, that she's got she's not in the oasis, she's gone outside, he has to go outside to meet her, and that's where the future is. And I think it would have been a nice sort of subtle little ending. But having said that, I've, I've talked a lot about how uh, it sort of reflects 80s films and stuff, which, which give you everything they give you. They're, they're not subtle about things. If there's a monster, you're going to see the monster. If there's a romance, you're going to have the big payoff where they kiss and walk up into the sunset. And so to keep keep those references in place, I think maybe it was the right ending for the book.
4: It's funny you should say, I was thinking in the film that it might even have a Truman show-esque ending to it, where, you know, oh, she's gone outside and he just goes outside and closes the door and that's the end of yeah. it. Um, uh, they won't do that, <laughs> because American test screen audiences go, no, we want to get um, Which is a shame, because they did that on Pride and Prejudice as well, where the American ending of Pride and Prejudice is... Um, Darcy and Elizabeth married and kissing it's like yeah. what? <laughs> so, um, so yeah we won't get that ending oh, One the
3: small problem I had with the ending was that uh, they sort of crowbarred in this message about not spending your life in the yeah. in the Oasis and it was d- delivered by James Halliday James Halliday the creator of the Oasis and, and yet he to get to this point he's devised this thing that's going to ensure that people <laughs> are just going to waste like and they do they waste years of their lives trying to do it and I think is is he like a bad uncle who catches a kid smoking a cigarette and makes them smoke an entire carton until they're sick of it so they won't want to do it anymore? Or it. is it just yeah. a dodgy message that has just been tacked on the end there? Well, it's the only way they learn.
0: It's the only way they're <laughs> going to learn. And, you know, it's the only way we're going to learn. And I've, I've said it before. I think I said it on the radio. Uh, I think I said it in 2012 that Facebook and Twitter would be dead by 2014. And, <laughs> right, mark my words, I was right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so his, uh, his other book, Armada, um, looks like it's got more of the same sort of geekery. Have you, uh, either you read that? Are you going to read it? No, you will do, won't we?
4: I haven't read it, and I don't think I'm going to. The what? reviews have been very poor. No, no, um, no,
0: don't read the reviews. What do reviewers know? <laughs> Take a look around you, Rachel. Look in this room. What are we know? <laughs> That's
4: true. Um, no, I think it's more of the same, but obviously because he's already done it. Then don't rehash it, but I can't really judge it because I haven't read it. But um, there are so many books to read, and it's it's not one that's screaming out to me to be watched at this point. Okay, we'll do so what I do
0: and listen to the audio book. Yes, I could it's, do. So it's not like reading, then. It's
4: quite lazy. It?
3: What about you, Andy? Are you going to go for it? Uh, I'd be I'd be quite interested to read it. Yeah, but um, good. We can I'm borrow not.
4: it. Off I was going to say you do, it, Andy. We'll we'll listen to your review. <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or I could read it aloud.
4: For oh, tape yeah. oh,
0: <laughs> right. Hey, maybe this is it. This is it. We, should, uh, we should we should do that. I'll I'll put some beats behind it.
3: Really oh, wow. and I'd love to be a part of that. Okay, so
0: (laughs) rating time. uh, Everyone's favourite. Is it Tron or Tron Legacy? (laughs) Bearing in mind your viewpoint on Tron Legacy, (laughs) uh, which is is dour. I've fallen asleep twice during that film.
4: (laughs) Twice. Twice. I've
0: started to watch it twice and I've fallen asleep twice. Oh, dear. It's an insomniac's cure. Um, Andy, what do you think? I,
3: I think it's definitely, it's definitely Tron. Yeah, it's got to be Tron, hasn't it? Yeah,
0: of course it is. Well done, everybody. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Uh, we'll leave you uh, now, as always, with the devious, <laughs> giggly,
3: <laughs> genius
0: poetry of Andy Goulding.
3: A patronising work coach who I talked to once at length thought happiness was money and that status equaled strength. To illustrate his point, he used a tired metaphor that life is a computer game, a pixelated war, in which we stop at nothing to progress up through the levels until we sit atop the pile with other corporate devils. When he had finished talking, though I had to disagree, I told him I appreciated his analogy, but felt that Super Mario's uncompromising fights work better as a metaphor for hard won workers' rights. And in these rich-get-richer times, you can't just cut your losses. You have to seize control and be prepared to fight the bosses. We'll never say game over to corruption's double dealings till Lara Croft's bazooka can obliterate glass ceilings.
0: You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher, and you also heard excerpts from the Ready Player One audiobook, read by Will Wheaton. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to support us you can go to our website spoilerpodcast.co.uk click on the donate button and give us whatever you think we're worth you can also sign up for a free 30 day trial with Audible and get yourself a free audiobook by going to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and clicking on the Audible trial banner on the left hand side now alternatively if you're planning on buying anything from Amazon do it via the links on our website and we'll get a few pennies commission to help us keep us supplied with the coffee and vegan biscuits or you can help us out by simply telling Telling your friends about us, sharing links to our show, or writing a nice review on iTunes. <laughs> Next time on Spoiler, we take a look at Asghar Fahadi's Oscar-winning Iranian drama, *A Separation*. <laughs> If you'd like to contact us about that or anything else, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hall and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren FM in the heart of the beautiful Cathedral City of Lincoln.
2: The place reminded me a lot of the town in the movie Footloose small, rural, and sparsely populated.